the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The dominant theme of the book of Ezekiel is the Lord saying, And they shall know that I am the Lord. 62 times that phrase is found in the book of Ezekiel. Sometimes it's that you may know that I am the Lord, and other times it's that they may know that I am the Lord. But the idea here is that God has a desperate desire for people to know Him. And God will go to great lengths to reveal Himself to people so that they will not die in their sins. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. God promises to bless those who turn from their sin and earnestly live for Him. He reveals Himself in many ways to people to keep them from dying in their sins. Today, Pastor Gary takes you to the book of Ezekiel to show you the prophecies in Ezekiel over Jerusalem that God says clearly that His people will see Him and know Him. Ezekiel is a watchman, raising the flag and warning the perishing with the hope that they can be saved because of the promises God makes to be revealed to them. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 1, as he begins his message, The Theology of Responsibility. If you'll take your Bibles with me and go to Ezekiel, chapter 1. And we are reading now out of the New King James Version. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, the NIV that I've been preaching out of for 30 years is no longer in print. The 2011 revision that they did, I think, was a terrible revision, in my opinion. So we're moving now to New King James. We have New King James Bibles available. If you see an usher nearby, you raise your hand. They'll give you one. You can turn to page 813 in those Bibles. It's Ezekiel chapter 1, page 813 in the church Bibles. If you have an ESV, you'll probably find very similar to New King James, but that's the new version I'm going to be teaching out of going forward. I'm going to give an intro to the book of Ezekiel first, as we typically do, and then we'll read out of chapter 1, 2, and 3, and pray, and then dig out a topic that the Lord's put on my heart for today. But for you note-takers, warning in advance, I'm probably going to go quicker than you can take notes, but do your best. (laughs) Here we go. Uh, The book is named after the prophet who wrote it, Ezekiel. His name in Hebrew is Yehezkel. Yehezkel translates in Hebrew into English, God 
will strengthen. That's what his name means. At the age of 25, Ezekiel was deported to Babylon during the second captivity, which is around 597 BC. Now, as we're reading Ezekiel, we're not different from the book we just finished, Jeremiah. The difference is that Jeremiah is a prophet to the people of Judah, the Jews living in the homeland of Judah. Ezekiel is going to be a prophet to the Jews who have been taken captive into Babylon, but they're both contemporaries. You have Jeremiah in Jerusalem, you have Ezekiel in Babylon, and there were three deportations. When King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came and besieged Judah, he did it in three stages, 606 BC, 597 BC, 586 BC. 586 BC, he also destroyed the temple. And so he took captive Jews during these three different deportations. Daniel, the prophet, after whom a book is named in the Bible, uh, Daniel was taken in the first deportation in 606 BC. By the time Ezekiel gets to Babylon in 597, Daniel's already been there for nine years. He's already well known in the palace. Uh, Ezekiel mentions Daniel by name in the book of Ezekiel three times. Daniel doesn't mention Ezekiel at all by name in his book. Uh, It is likely that Daniel didn't even know about Ezekiel, at least didn't meet him, because Daniel's responsibility was in the palace. He may have known about Ezekiel, but Daniel's responsibility was in the palace. And so Ezekiel taken to uh, Babylon 597 BC during the second deportation. Like Jeremiah, Ezekiel was born into a priestly family. He's a Levite. But also like Jeremiah, he will never really serve as a priest in Jerusalem. Instead, Ezekiel is going to be called to serve as a prophet to the Jewish exiles in Babylon, again, during the same time that Jeremiah serves as a prophet to the Jews in Judah. And Ezekiel is going to prophesy 22 years, starting six years before the temple is destroyed. So again, remember, during the first and second deportation, the temple has not yet been destroyed. Ezekiel is in Babylon. He's going to prophesy about the destruction of the temple that will happen about six years later. The book of Ezekiel is somewhat mystical. It is an enigma. In other words, it baffles the mind. And because of its difficulty, rabbis prohibited men under the age of 30 from reading it. So I just barely qualify. (laughs) I don't know why you're laughing, but anyway... Uh, But yeah, that's the truth. It is such a difficult book that the ancient rabbis prohibited men from reading it until they turned age 30. There are different prophetic elements in the book of Ezekiel, a lot of prophetic elements. And he prophesies near and he prophesies far, which is typical for a lot of prophets. There was a near interpretation. There was a distant interpretation to some of the things that they said. For example, in the near prophetic, Ezekiel is going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. That's chapters 1 through 24. And it'll be very similar to some of the sections in the book of Jeremiah, but from a different angle that God shows him from Babylon. And then we get into some far prophecies, some distant things that Ezekiel prophesies about. For example, he prophesies about the reestablishment, the reformation of the nation of Israel in chapter 37, about dry bones coming to life again, about the Jews that have been dispersed coming back together to form a nation. That will happen in 1948. So in some of your lifetime, that prophecy actually took place, was fulfilled. 
And then there are some other prophecies that Ezekiel speaks about that haven't even been fulfilled yet in our lifetime. He looks ahead to the time of the battle of Armageddon. That's chapters 38 and 39. He looks ahead to the millennial age, the millennial kingdom. That's chapters 40 to 48. And he also describes the millennial temple in chapters 40 to 48 as well. So we'll get to all that. You'll notice also going through Ezekiel that there are many similarities between this book and the book of Revelation. Ezekiel has a vision of the throne of God in chapter 1. John has a vision of the throne of God in the book of Revelation. Ezekiel talks about Gog and Magog, which is a reference to Russia. Revelation speaks about Gog and Magog as well. Ezekiel sees a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Revelation speaks about a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Ezekiel speaks about waters of life, and so does John in the book of Revelation. The dominant theme of the book of Ezekiel is the Lord saying, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Sixty-two times that phrase is found in the book of Ezekiel. Sometimes it's that you may know that I am the Lord, and other times it's that they may know that I am the Lord. But the idea here is that God has a desperate desire for people to know him. And God will go to great lengths to reveal himself to people so that they will not die in their sins. And this is what God is doing through the prophet Ezekiel. Remember, the Jewish people have been in rebellion against God. They've been idolatrous. They've been worshiping foreign gods. And so God is allowing the Babylonians to come besiege Jerusalem and to take the Jewish people captive, many of them, to Babylon for a period of 70 years where God will then purge them of their idolatry. And yet, when he sends them off to Babylon, he doesn't wash his hands of them. He doesn't say, well, good riddance. I mean, you people were in rebellion against me, so you just get what you deserve, and I want nothing more to do with you. No, he sends a prophet to them. So he's got a prophet working in Judah, in Jerusalem, among the Jewish people who are still there. And he's got a prophet working in Babylon, Ezekiel, because God is still trying to reach them. And God is still trying to speak to them because he desperately wants relationship with people. And so with your place there now in Ezekiel chapter 1, I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. But first here from chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. It says, Now it came to pass in the 30th year, in the fourth month of the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kabar. Now, Pause for a moment. In the 30th year, probably refers to his own age. The book of Numbers says that a priest would come into priestly service at the age of 30. We know that historically rabbis would come into their ministry at the age of 30. So Ezekiel's probably referring to his own age when he was 30 years of age. He's been living here now in Babylon. The Lord is going to reveal himself to him. And he is situated here, he's living uh, with the other captives along the river Kabar. The river Kabar was a tributary of the Euphrates River. So he's in Iraq now. And he says during that time, he says that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And there's this wonderful description in the rest of chapter 1 here and into chapter 2 about angelic creatures. We find out later he's talking about cherubim with four faces and four wings and the frame of a man, but yet the feet of calves. And so just very strange looking creatures. But we find out later in chapter 10 that these are cherubim. These are angelic beings. And heaven is opened up for Ezekiel and he's able to see and he has this vision of God around the throne and he sees cherubim and angels. It's a very spectacular scene here. 
And then in verse 2, here's still in chapter 1, verse 2, on the fifth day of the month, which was in the fifth year of King Jehoiakim's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. He's talking in the third person. The son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar, and the hand of the Lord was upon him. Now, Chaldeans is just another term for Babylonians. Go to chapter 2. So in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And he said to me, this is the Lord speaking to him, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak to you. And then the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me, and he set me on my feet. And I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Go now to chapter 3. One last section we'll read here in chapter 3, starting in verse 16. And now it came to pass at the end of seven days that the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. This is what he says to Ezekiel. Yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sins, and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will have delivered your soul. We're going to pause there. I've entitled today's teaching, The Theology of Responsibility. The Theology of Responsibility. Let's first pause and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that we can gather here together and to worship you and to also open our Bibles and to study your word together. I thank you for all those who are here and those who are watching online. We pray that it's all for your glory, Lord. And strengthen our hearts in the process, we ask. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. We are living in a time when it is easier to blame somebody than to take personal responsibility for something. It's really nothing new. This has been going on since the beginning of time, at least as it relates to humanity. Blame shifting has been going on since the Garden of Eden. And in case you aren't familiar with this story, let me just summarize some events from Genesis chapter 3, where God places man in the center of a beautiful garden. It is paradise. He doesn't have a care or a concern in the world. And God also takes from Adam's side DNA and makes a woman, Eve. And there's one thing that God had instructed Adam to begin with, and that was that he was free 
The emphasis is on freedom. He was free to eat of any of the trees of the Garden of Eden, except one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the only reason why God put that one tree in the Garden is so that the relationship that mankind would have with God would be based on the freedom of choice, would be a love relationship and not something out of obligation or coercion. And yet, the one thing that God said, don't eat of it, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die, meaning literally the dying process will begin, the human race will experience death, which we weren't intended to experience. Uh, The one thing that God had warned them, don't eat of this one tree, they ate. And when God called them to account, he started with Adam. And I'm going to paraphrase the conversation. He said, Adam, what did you do that for? And Adam said, well, the woman that you gave me, she's the one. You know, Lord, I'm not sure I was really into the whole thing anyway, but you said, you know, let's make a woman out of your side. It still hurts. You know what I'm saying to you, Lord? And... And I was kind of opposed to the whole idea, but then I was just like, whoa, man, come on. And then you said, okay, let's name her that. And so, whoa, man, came along. (laughs) And then she just messed me up. You know what I'm saying to you, Lord? She just messed me up. By the way, you gave her to me. I mean, that's in Genesis chapter 3. He says to God, you, the one you gave to me. And so he blame shifts. And then God says to Eve, all right, what about you? And she's like, well... The serpent that you, you know, the serpent guy here, this serpent, the Satan, Satan, he just tempted me. And Satan is just there like. I got nobody else to blame. There's nobody around. And so it's not like this is new. Blame shifting has been going on since the Garden of Eden. We're all experts at it. Now, there's a story in the Hammer household that we like to tell every so once in a while. Do you have one of these stories in your family where you just like to bring it up every once in a while just to laugh at somebody in your family about it? You know, so friends, listen, if you can't laugh at yourself, laugh at other people. But anyways, (laughs) so there's this one story where we get together and we laugh at Tyler. He's sitting over here in the front row. And here's the story. Here's the story. We all laugh at each other for different reasons, but here's his story. So This is about 10 years ago when the kids were were still teenagers living at home. And I had a little geo tracker that I bought from a guy on the street. And it was just a fun little car around town, had a soft top. And so I'd pull the whole top off when summer months would come. And so we all piled into the little geo tracker and we're on our way to the community swimming pool. And so Terry was up in the front with me, three kids squished in the back. Okay, all teenagers. Now, before we left the house, Terry had given Tyler a brand new pair of flip flops. You know the story, right, Tyler? All right, he knows the story because we remind him every once in a while. Uh, Gave him a brand new pair of flip-flops, really nice. Hey, thanks, Mom. Love the flip-flops. Jump in the car. Off to the pool we go. When we got to the pool, because the top was off of the tracker, he decided, I'm going to just jump off the side of the car instead of, you know, going through the door. Why bother? There's no top. I'm going to jump off the side. And when he jumped off the side, the front flap of his new flip-flop caught on the edge, the rim of the side of the car, and he tumbled out and spilled out. And we're all looking at him, and he gets up, and he says, thanks a lot, Mom. (laughs) And we're like, what? Thanks a lot, man, because if you hadn't given me these flip-flops, I would not have fallen out of the car. So that's our fun story with Tyler. Give him a hand, everybody. That's our fun fun story for Tyler. And so... 
to this day, we're like, remember when you fell out of the car and you blame mom for giving you the flip-flops? But we're all experts at this. This is the kind of thing that we do. And if we don't blame somebody, we will make excuses for ourselves. And we'll talk about our parents and we'll talk about our family of heritage and we'll make excuses for ourselves. We'll say things like, well, you know, I am the way I am because my mom never really gave me any hugs. Or mom wasn't around, dad wasn't around, dad was a drinker, you know, and so, or we'll say things about our own heritage. Well, the reason I drink a little too much is because I'm Irish. You know how the Irish are, yeah? You know how, oh, it's magically delicious, you know? And so we have drinkers because we're Irish. Where I know I have a temper, but I'm Italian. That's just the way Italians are. I know I'm cheap because that's the way Scots are. I'm Scottish, you know? And so we say these kinds of things. I know I'm irritable, but that's because I got some low blood sugar. I just need to eat some food. And so on and on it goes. And we love to make excuses. And we love to blame. Benjamin Franklin once said, quote, he that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. A journalist by the name of Sidney J. Harris, who died many years ago, he said, quote, we have not passed that subtle line between childhood and adulthood until we move from the passive voice to the active voice. That is, until we have stopped saying it got lost and say, I lost it. His point is well taken. He said, you know, kids talk in passive tense. It got lost. I don't know. But adults own it. Should. We should say, I lost it. It's the difference between a childhood and adulthood. The idea of taking responsibility for something. See, the sociology of responsibility basically says today, it's not your fault. Blame somebody else. That's just false. The psychology of responsibility says if you take responsibility, it empowers you. If you blame others, you victimize yourself. Well, there's some truth to that. But the theology of responsibility says every person is accountable to God for his or her own life, period. Every person is accountable to God for his or her own life. This is what chapter 3 is about here in Ezekiel. Notice in verse 17, where God starts out by saying to Ezekiel, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, notice there in verse 17, he addresses Ezekiel as son of man. That is also, by the way, a title for Jesus more than 80 times throughout the Gospels. But that is a messianic title. That's why Jesus uses it about himself in the Gospels. In this usage here in the book of Ezekiel, it's really God just simply saying to Ezekiel, you are a man among men. You are a representative of the people. He refers to Ezekiel as son of man 93 times in the book of Ezekiel. You are son of man. You are a representative of the people to speak on my behalf to warn the people about their sins, which is why God calls him there in verse 17, a watchman. He says, I have made you a watchman. Circle that word watchman. Now, a watchman back in the day was one who stood guard on the top of the city wall. At some point in the city wall or in the tower of the city wall, in order to alert people, to sound a warning regarding any approaching danger from without or any problem from within. And so God uses the term figuratively. He says to Ezekiel, you're a spiritual watchman. In effect, what I want you to do is I want you to sound the alarm. I want you to warn people that you live with and that you work with, that you love, that I love. I want you to warn them that if they continue in their sin, they're going to be responsible. They're going to be held accountable. 
And so warn them, do your part. And so Ezekiel was tasked with one objective, to sound a warning to those who are perishing with the hope that they would listen, turn, and be saved. And in fact, God even says to Ezekiel, I'm going to hold you personally responsible for your part. And your part is, I want you to sound the warning. And if you don't sound the warning, you're going to be accountable for your part in that. Thanks for joining us today in the book of Ezekiel. This prophetic book brings not only an understanding of things in the past, but also things that are ahead. Much of Ezekiel predicts God's judgment in order for people to turn back to Him in repentance. Repentance and devotion were what God wanted then and what He wants from us now. If you're enjoying learning about God's character and plans through this book and how it relates to the here and now, we encourage you to read through the book of Ezekiel on your own. You can also listen to more of Pastor Gary's teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or download our mobile app to take them on the go. If you're looking for some additional resources to aid your time of study in the Word, visit the teaching tab on our site for companion resources. On our website, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love for you to visit us, find service times and directions, along with more information at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're glad we were able to spend some time with you today. Join us again next time for more from Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse study in the book of Ezekiel, right here on Cornerstone Connection. But still you know, but still you know, you're not.